0: Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I'm coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome back for another version. Uh, We're here, and we're gonna talk today about risk, compliance, remediation, and resiliency.
1: And I'll let my guests introduce themselves, starting with Richard Webb. Uh, Richard Webb, um, I'm an architect, uh, enterprise level, and I work uh, consulting with uh, large Fortune 2000 companies.
2: Yeah, I'm Ruben Ortega, glad to be here. I'm co-founder of a new technology law firm focused on uh, corporate governance, SEC work, privacy regulation, and uh, excited.
3: And I'm Ralph Klein, president of Lean PM. Um, my company specializes in project management and program management, as well as business preparedness.
0: So uh, it's great to have all these guests today. These are some super talented people. We're here in our uh, studio in West Seattle today, and we'll get right into the details in just a moment. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna. This episode is gonna be about taking risk and its benefits. And I'll start off with a story, which is. Um, my dad is a business person and um, he calls himself fiscally conservative and uh, socially liberal is how my dad thinks about it. But he can be kind of a stern person, but he's otherwise pretty pretty free spirit. But um, growing up, I grew up in the country and I always wanted motorbikes. And um, my dad didn't want us to have motorbikes. He, he had had a motorbike when he was a kid and he always would say that there's two types of motorcycle riders, those that have been injured and those that will be injured. And my brother and I didn't really pay any attention to it and always still wanted motorcycles. And so eventually in seventh grade, I got a motorbike. And I was I was a very healthy motorcycle rider until uh, I guess just after I'd graduated from college, I bought a I bought a fully a full-on basically race bike, a dirt bike and whatnot. And um, since that time, I've broken probably six bones, for example, most recently my right wrist. And so I, I know about risk. I feel like I know about risk. I, un- I understand risk taking. I think there's all kinds of rewards in risk taking. And I've I've got some good pictures of myself that I'm very proud of. And to me, those are the outcomes is like the experience or the adrenaline rush of taking a big jump or taking a risk or, or having fun in that way. So I'll throw that back to my guests. Is how does how does that kind of thinking about risk, reward, risk taking, um, how does that fit into business?
3: Well, I'd like to mention the fact that when we talk about risk, we got to remember that risk is not necessarily negative, as you just pointed out. There are gains from it. I would say that risk, really, in my book, business and uh, business preparedness planning by CRC Press, is is the fact that. Business uh, risk can be either negative, which is a threat, and it can be positive, which is an opportunity. So you want to you want what you want to do is minimize the threats and maximize the opportunities. But you got to it requires somewhat of being a, a collaborative type person and also a person who can see a bit in the future because they know their environment. You need to know the type of environment that you're in and be able to, of course, minimize the threats, maximize the opportunities. Uh, I I wanna add one thing, and it's one of the highlights of my life is I was a a lieutenant uh, serving um, under the command of uh, Norman Schwarzkopf, who was a general in the first war, uh, in the Gulf War, uh, first Gulf War, And he was big on planning, but he always cautioned me, he says, you know, Ralph, you got your plans, and then when you're out in the field, you got to adapt. And so that's what's important to do. The plans end, you follow them, but they kind of end once you start executing. And then you got to know your environment and adapt accordingly.
2: No plan survives contact with the enemy, is how I've heard it put. That's
3: exactly, and I read that the other day,
2: actually. Yeah, so one of the, one of the things you know, I see in, from, a, from a legal perspective is um, that so many of my clients uh, act or don't act unintentionally in the space that they play in. And I think part of uh, you know, this, this idea of getting knowledge and understanding where you're at is so that you can act intentionally with respect to these risks, um, you know, as the architect in the room, I think he wants us all to be dreamers and us to, to take some chances. and And I think that as a lawyer, I'm fine with my clients taking chances as long as they know what they're doing before they do it. And they're purposefully going down that road as opposed to stumbling and falling down the hill and ending up who knows where. The possible
0: outcomes and consequences. So kind of back to Richard's earlier language in the previous episode is that outcomes so there's multiple possible outcomes so the consequences i think is towards threats right is there well that's what it feels like to me Is kind of negative language consequences doesn't typically sound positive so like in the context of motorcycle racing or what have you the the potential consequences of course are death and dismemberment as (laughs) examples but the the you know the potential benefits are fame and fortune and adrenaline and and whatever else it would be but but the the risk taker, the entrepreneur, in our context for our conversation is, is aware of the potential negative consequences, downsides, the the dark side, if you will, of what what could be, in that way, but as a risk taker, they they actively are risk takers. I think just by their their lot in life.
3: You know, evil. Knievel. Uh, he he was a risk taker in a physical sense, right? And so he got the adrenaline when he did his jumps on the motorcycle and everything else. But I read a couple months ago in a a book that there was one thing that he feared when he did that. And it was amazing. He feared falling in the water. In the water. He has a fear of water. Huh. So on one hand, there's the opportunity and the fame and the fortune, as you were talking about. But then on the other side is the possibility that you could fall down in a cavern and drown. He had a very strong fear of uh, drowning.
1: I mean, these are big deals. I mean, if you look at it like a cellular life or how we're built, everything around us is either food, we fight it or we fuck it, <laughs> or we run away from it, we flee. Mm-hmm. And there's two others they've discovered, which is flirt, and the other one is to freeze. So there's the five Fs for you. And, and that's an interesting thing. Now, everything is based off of food, fuck, <laughs> fight, flight, flirt, or freeze. Five Fs. I didn't make this up, okay? But it is the basis of everything. There's one life cycle in life, and everybody writes books on life cycle, but there's only one life cycle. It's birth, sex, and death. That's it. You could have a lot of stages in between, but all we do in integration and all the stuff we do, building airplanes, all these things we do is sex. Okay, something's birthed, that's a lot of work, Something dies. Well, we don't want to do that. We kind of keep our companies. They want to them forever, but they all have to die. We well,
3: all I can say is I have nothing to add to this conversation. So <laughs> I'm, gonna,
1: I'm throwing out an idea because you know, I think it's really important, is that one of the best projects I ever got to be around was where we actually embrace threats. We actually embraced them. So what we did is we put machines out on the open Internet with no firewall and said, go for it. And then we got so fully infected and so messed up. It wasn't my project, but I got to be looking at it. Is we were able to get a chunk of the universe. And the fast, it was funny, it was in minutes. They were monitoring everything. It was in minutes we'd already had a chunk. And they told it off in an hour or two. I mean, it it wasn't forever. But we got enough of a slice that we could spend years studying it. So the thing is, is to embrace a threat means that I might get something I don't know, going back to uncertainty, that I can have a new idea from a threat that I am now have a different perspective. And the perspective change is the key to survival, not threat prevention, is a new perspective.
2: The, that, ap- adaptation that, that adaptation, that adaptation. It's the only thing we do
1: pretty good, I guess. I read that somewhere. I'm not sure we're doing it good, but that's what they say. That we're adaptable. That this is our area of expertise as humans is that we really care about that perspective. And look how self-destructive we are in our private tendencies. I had do. I had the wonderful life in Hollywood, being to work in Hollywood. Oh. And the thing is, is I learned a lot about decadence, and I realized it's infinite there's no end to it there's it's just it's amazing and you can't really judge it it is what it is i mean greater men and women have fought and have lost because that's human nature human nature is infinite corruption is finite you can only steal so much and there's nothing left you can only eat so many steaks and there aren't so many steaks so corruption is finite decadence is infinite the these self-destructive tendencies even in software even in hardware even in our ecosystems we're building the loss of privacy the loss of everything we think of, these threats are mounting to where it's like oh my god can i get an auditor can i get a lawyer can you guys save me but the thing is is to be able to build and this is a key put something objectively in front of the threat to capture it so you can look at it
3: well and i agree with you uh, Richard, I, I would say, though, you know, there's a, a, a principle in military strategy where you don't put all your forces up front, right? So you have a defense in I'm depth, mistake. as they call it. <laughs> they, they have a defense in depth. And, and what that means is, is it, it, you, you can't protect yourself from everything. So from a, a, a threat perspective, you're going to have to prioritize what those threats are, getting back to where we're looking at the big picture, and then the lower threats, uh, you're going to have to look put on a watch list. Now, there's going to be things you can't predict, right? And part of human nature is the fact that uh, um, you only know so much in your environment.
1: But don't they do experiments to find new threats? Pardon me? I didn't don't they me? do experiments or engagements to find new threats? To determine new unknown threats? Yeah, but unknown
3: threats, by their very nature, are unknown. Yeah, I know. So that's sort of like an accurate estimate. There's no such thing as an accurate estimate. There's a reliable the idea is estimate. to pull, tease those out. Yeah, but you can uh, do the best you can to identify those, but there's always going to be, like in project management, we, we put together contingency reserves. Those are for the known, known risks that we think have a probability of happening. And then we set aside a management reserve. This is money that's taken out, put aside. That's not part of the project baseline. That's used in case some unknown unknown or some occurrence occurs that they got to pull the money out to help recover the project. So the whole idea here is that you're never going to know what's going to happen. Just like you said, you talked about the people going to Mars. There are gonna be people going to Mars. The reason why they're going to Mars, which I tend to favor in, in, in place of machines sometimes, is to go to that environment. Humans have the ability to detect things that machines have been programmed to detect, but human only humans can detect that. And as a consequence, it's uh, those are kind of unknown unknowns in that context. Absolutely. So I, you know, it, it, as human beings, we're frail, just to prove your point. And that's
1: the beauty of uh, how we have so many threats and harms to us.
3: That's right. It, but, it's
1: extraordinary. Uh,
3: but on the other hand, we have recovered from major wars, World War One, World War Two, and whatever you want to call Great Depressions or Great Recessions, as we like to play with the words now. The Internet. Uh, the Internet. Um, so... Um, well, I don't think the internet's necessarily. 4 right. How we're ma- you know 4K? How, how we're managing the internet oh, okay. and protecting yourself uh, from it uh, is important.
1: 4K is coming. 5LG.
3: Okay. One of one yeah, of, I know they're coming, but uh, sooner or later we'll have a 10K. How's that? We'll all go running after lunch.
2: <laughs> I uh, I'm, I listened to this this uh, discussion here about risk taking and and uh, how we don't we're not going to learn new things we're not going to make advances without taking some risks. And then, you know, this other the idea here that we have to have reserves or or uh, you know approach it strategically. And I and I, I agree with both. They throw around in the startup world this idea of you know this company is disruptive, right? This Airbnb is gonna has come in and disrupted the whole you know bed and breakfast industry or or, or Uber has, you know, disrupted the whole taxi industry. Well, the reason they disrupted it is because they looked at the risks again and said, that's worth taking. That risk is worth taking. And I think that if you truly want to be disruptive, part of that is knowing and facing the risks and going, I I might not understand exactly what the full implications of this are, is, but the upside is definitely going to be worth it.
1: I believe there will be a new evolution to the science that we're talking about, about, you know, risk, compliance, and this, to embrace disruption as a normal state. To give an example, with like Netflix, they crash Monkey where they go in and they deliberately destroy their systems in production. And then they have tens of thousands of failures a day. Where everybody else in the past would try to stop failures, they actually encourage failure. So they build a resilient, amazingly recoverable system. Um, and that was a kind of a, a really a revolutionary thought. Instead of trying to fight it, let's just embrace it. So the operational teams, from what I've Understand, because a friend of mine worked there, not myself, but what I was educated on was they're hardened. Failures, just that's how we live. Mm-hmm. It's not recovery. It's 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 a, recovery is what we do. Mm-hmm. Survival is who we are. It, and then the other thing is how much. And this this is very interesting is that they would deliberately degrade the quality of my television, and then if I actually paused it, restarted it, they'd increase it to say, "What's your tolerance?" I don't want to give you all that bandwidth. If you're happy with it, can I cut back some? saves millions of dollars, keeps your price down. Well, I'm kind of cranky, so I try to stop it, start it. I want better quality. you know. But, you know, I'm fussy. But other people <clears> aren't. <throat> do you know that's a really brilliant ability to take what we perceive as harm to the customer and say, no, no, I'm mr. man, the customer. I'm not trying to hurt you. But they didn't tell me about it. They didn't say, hey,
2: do you want better quality? We all want better quality. We actually, no. Actually, they did tell you about it. Their lawyers in their contracts said. Is this time for a lawyer joke? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, when you're dealing with risk, did I read right? That? Did you, you can read that? you can you can share the risk with the customers, right? You can avoid it, or you can accept it. That's right. A- and I think that I,
1: I pushed the yes button when I installed yeah, it. Totally. Yeah, totally. Okay, got it. I missed that part. But or the, you can transfer the risk as well. Right. Right. But the key is, and to your point. It's well known that we're taking risks. And look at the benefit of that risk. Mm -hmm. So this idea of dealing with disruption and making it a first-class citizen and and realize that there will be business disruption, technology disruption, and human disruption. And when the robotic era comes in, which is the next big era that we're moving into, I mean, the cloud is evolving to a robot. That's my vision, and I'm going to stick with it till Another week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but the robot has a whole new idea of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, it's our, what is it, from the new Blade Runner, our disposable slave force that we need to succeed. I thought that was pretty funny. But we need something because we're not going to do it with each other. So we have a machine now. These things change, these disruptions change, and they're very harmful. And so we're working on ethics. So if you go to a computer or you go to a robot and say punch, you know, Ruben in the face and it does it, that would be catastrophic. So it's got to turn around and say, Richard, we can't do that. Needle hell. Sorry, Richard, I can't do that. Um, That's important to have that. We don't have that ability. That's hard. Right. Okay. We have to learn how to handle disruption as if it's a first-class citizen. Yeah. So what does that mean to an auditor? What does that mean to a lawyer where I now want to encourage living on the razor's bloody edge, as the norm?
3: Well, I would actually like to take it from a really different perspective. I had the opportunity of growing up overseas and living in Italy for about five and a half years, and also in Japan for two years. And it was during the period where the United States had the ascendancy around the world, and they were spreading their values and everything else. So now that we've expanded, without getting political, but now that we've expanded and the rest of the world is adopting our model with the, uh, with the decline of communism, I've often noticed that I find that the rest of the world has adopted our principles and practices in, in many respects, and now they're competing with us at the rules of our own game. And so it's created this instability that we, we never had uh, for over 40 years or plus, and as a result, we're having uh, the uh, disequilibrium that has occurred. Uh, pe- the country is having difficulty adapting to it, without getting political. I think you know. But it's a I system. It's we- a system. It's, it's a system, system, right?
1: And it's disrupted. It's disrupted. And everybody knows it.
3: And everybody knows You're my it. Cat. And it's hard for us, especially, in, uh, I don't know about your generation, but my generation. I mean, like, I I'm so in the sick. That was so sweet. Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result,
1: He's flirting. That's we're what ha- he, we're what having
3: all this instability. Should I put my money in bonds? Should I put my money in the stocks? Should I put my money in annuities? What am I going to do? Gold. Because things are not going to be, well, things are not going to go as expected. I didn't have the finality of retirement that my parents had
1: and some of us are actually advocating that's probably the normal state now and that you know the millennial down through the generations they're developing the ability
2: to deal with constant disruption and from a from a lawyer's perspective i love it because it's called job security right (laughs) and i think that you know the more disruption the more growth the more change we have the more some it, us as humans are going to crave a safety net of some sort of protection. Well, this is where compliance sort of comes in. And yeah. We
1: should probably talk about that a little bit because compliance means I have to something to comply to. Mm-hmm. Rules, regulations, all the rest of it, all the red tape, the bureaucracy. And I'm not arguing, but, you know, now you've kind of changed the tone a bit mm-hmm. because now there's things I have to uh, atone to in all this. And as we have disruption... Or are we going to end up buried in our own rules and laws, right. Right. in our own government, in p- our own instrumentation to the point where we are not free?
3: So uh, back to the business model that we're trying talking about enterprise, right? It's very difficult in this type of environment where the change is constant uh, and that the ability to adapt is becoming a very important uh, characteristic of businesses. Uh, the idea here is that um, business is going to be more difficult as we move into the future. I really believe that.
0: Yeah, so that's a good that's a good pausing spot. I, th- I think uh, that's a great conversation. We'll we'll uh, we'll be right back with you. Thanks for listening.
2: You have been listening to the AppsJack podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to appsjack.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic and the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Abstract Podcast. This has been a SeaTown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com. S E A hyphen townmedia.com.